This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. A little known fact out there is, the, is that uh, that sound clip was taken literally seconds before Ryan Tannehill uh, undressed a practice squad player and asked uh, or made fun of his paycheck and something about trophies, too. So we're, we were privileged to get that there. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Keith. Uh, this is Insider Radio. This is our usual night. And not really our usual time, not a little bit earlier than usual, but we're trying to make it work this week, especially because we weren't able to get this done last week. Uh, I was just talking off air with uh, Lewis. So actually, let me introduce you guys first. Uh, my faithful co-host, good friend, uh, fellow music buff. Uh, we like most of the same sports. So I'm not much of a NASCAR guy. He is Duke. Uh, happy Wednesday. Happy hump day, I guess. What's going on? Uh, hanging in there, man. I hear that. And then, um, last but not least, uh, apparently it's Lewis, but Lewis actually doesn't sound angry tonight. So what we have for you is uh, uh, even even keeled, mild tempered Lewis. And uh, one thing we'll get to actually something we're another thing we're discussing off air in a moment. But tonight we'll go over. Uh, Really, the obvious stuff. A lot has gone down with this team in the span of, in the span of ten days uh, after they humiliated themselves across the pond. And I felt bad because there were some so many great Dolphins costumes over in England. I love anyone who who dressed up uh, in Star Wars themed Dolphin stuff. God bless you. I thought that was so awesome. I saw so many stormtroopers out there, and I was like, yeah. Doing it right. So I thought that was cool. And then the team took the field and completely humiliated themselves. Uh, So much so that they really could have just left uh, Joe Philbin over there 
to enjoy his fish and chips because he got the boot. He's out. We've talked about this on air repeatedly ad nauseum. Uh, it really wasn't a matter of if but when. When turns out to be a lot sooner than we thought this season, well, most of us at least, because we were hoping for a productive season, a, a playoff quality. Instead, he's out. Um, Kevin Coyle oh, follows suit, thankfully. He's the guy actually I wanted out the most, which seems weird to say because uh, I haven't been a huge fan of Philbin. But so just all this turnaround. Dan Campbell is your new uh, interim head coach now. <clears throat> and then you, and then you got Lou Anaru uh, as We lost. Hello. <clears throat> yeah, I don't hear him. So we will uh, we'll pick up where he left off. <clears throat> so yeah, the uh, Dolphins picked up. Uh, they they made uh, Dan Campbell the uh, head coach, former Titans coach. Um, they made uh, Lou Anarumo. Is that correct? Yes, Lou Anarumo. He was um, the secondary coach. Apparently, Grimes is very high on him, so I guess that's um, what happened. Since I'm the speculation yeah, is that Mark Jumpner didn't want him. Um, so they are the um, uh, they are the new head, the new uh, guys to take over for Fieldman and Coyle, and um. There's a lot of excitement around Campbell simply because he brings a little bit of fire and passion when he talks. Um, to me, I mean, when you listen to Fieldman talk, it's kind of like uh, Ben Stein's character in uh, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, <laughs> it's kind of dry, monotone. You didn't really get much out well, of it. Well, Ben Stein sounds the same in everything. Yeah, I mean, you can just see why there was a lack of fire from the team. I don't want to say a lack of passion necessarily because I don't want to think that Sylvan was unpassioned about football. I, I believe that he, he was very passionate about the sport, about teaching the sport. It's just his method wasn't wasn't working. And so they bring in Campbell, who is uh, who is a uh, got a little got a little bit of that fire from you know he was a player, got a little bit of that. Uh, raucous kind of, you know, talking about stuff. And, and you know, uh, it, the opening press conference following that on Twitter was kind of fun because uh, people were just reacting to it so positively. And starting out one and three, uh, you know, losing to the Jaguars by three points is one thing. I mean, that's maybe fluky. If a, you know, a couple penalties here and there, a missed kick, you know, some stuff, maybe that's a win. But then they go play the Bills and the Jets and get blasted. Um, so it's, uh, you know, fans were kind of down. And, you know, here's Campbell, and he's kind, of, he's kind of riling up the fans as well as much as, as he is the, uh, you know, trying to get the players fired up. You know, a lot of, lot's been made of um, some of the stuff he's done with Oklahoma drill, the tug-of-war stuff that he's done in practices. And, you know, that doesn't really necessarily serve a football purpose, but I do think it does serve as, you know, Miami is, I think, the third youngest team in the NFL. 
you've got a lot of young guys, and from what I understand of collegiate sports, is a lot of these guys, you know, some of them are, you know, guys like Jarvis Landry, pretty much self-driven, and most of these guys are that want to succeed. But a lot of times, when when you're the big man on, on the college campus, you kind of get you kind of get those privileges, and you, and you, you kind of I don't want to say lose some toughness, but when you don't have a, a a tough NFL coach that can instill that in you, I mean, Bill Belichick has the same kind of dry personality that Joe Philbin has, but you don't think of him as being soft or untough. And I think that's what Campbell's going to kind of toughen some of these guys up. You know, they're going for. Um, you know, sometimes when you want to get the work done, you got to get your hands dirty. you got to get them a little bit callous. And I think that's what he's doing, toughening these guys up. So, you know what? You're going to win out there. You know, you may – it's not about winning the game necessarily. You're going to win your matchup. Whoever you face off against, if you're a cornerback, the receiver you're covering. If you're a defensive end, the tackle you're facing. If it's, you know, if you're the offensive guard, the guy that you're having to block, you're going to do it. With 110%, you're going to give your all, and then you're going to give a little bit more to get that to get that fire because that's what you have to have to succeed in the NFL. And I think he's going to push these guys. I think some of them have come in and they're kind of you know they've they've gone through the motions and they're not doing that anymore. So it's good to see that from from him. I don't know much about Anarumo. I don't know how he's going to be as a defensive coordinator. I'm hoping maybe he can kind of tighten up some of the stuff that, that Coyle was kind of floating out there. So, Lewis, I'll let you go ahead and uh, put your thoughts out there. Well, first of all, Duke, I mean, this I don't know which fans you were watching because apparently we have very different uh, – we, we have very different follows on Twitter because the people that you said were very excited about Campbell, the people that I saw on my timeline ever since Campbell was hired, they were excited for maybe two hours – and then they went right back to their depressed, everything is awful, everything is horrible, let's wait until 2016 um, mode of thinking. Um, they, were making, they, they, were, they were making funny jokes. I, I thought they were funny at first. They were making jokes about Dan Campbell's physique, about how Chuck Norris has a, has a poster of Dan Campbell in his room. I thought that was funny. And they had a whole bunch of different jokes like that. And for a while... It was funny, but, but then we found out that Dan Campbell was doing different things in practice, and all of a sudden, the jokes stopped being funny. Now the jokes were, were mocking Dan Campbell. We think he's a joke. He's pretending to be a head coach. Get out of here with this college crap. He did the Oklahoma drill in his first uh, practice with the team. That it, it got people to fight with each other, got them physical again, and got them competitive again. It, the point that I think that people are missing and I, it's something that I wish they would understand is that we we so often look at these players and assume that they are superhuman robots. I mean, they're stronger than your typical human being because they have worked years and years and years to get to that point. But that doesn't that doesn't make them Superman. They are not. They they have hum, They are humans. They do not have this whole I don't need any help to get to where I'm going type of thing. They they are still human beings. They can be demoralized. They can be, um, I, I don't know what else to really call it, demoralized. That really is the perfect um, description for it. They feel like, what's the point? It, 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 you, you look at these games, you watch these games, and I don't know how anybody can actually say with a straight face that this team is really trying to succeed. 
It doesn't look like that to me. It looks like everybody's walking around like a bunch of zombies, especially in the game in London. It looked like we had sent, like, a high school team out there to go play against this professional football team. It looked like they were dead in the water before the game even started. And even though the score wasn't as lopsided as it was against the Bills in the home opener, it still, it somehow it looked worse than the game against the Bills, even though they lost by more points. And that just tells me that this team had essentially given up. They won't tell you that because that's part of the PR part. They're not they're going to say, we're still trying, it's not on the coaches. Um, but then you hear all these insider, or insider reports coming from all over the place from people who are not in the know and people who are in the know that the players are not happy with the coaching staff. Why? Because they don't care anymore. They're tired of doing the same things over and over. It's not working. They've been demoralized. And we and then Dan Campbell comes in and he starts doing things to breathe some life back into these players. They, he does the Oklahoma drill to get them to push each other. They do a tug of war thing to test their physicality, I guess. I don't know. I don't understand it, but I'm not a coach. But what it looks like to me is that Dan Campbell's not really so much worried about the football aspect. He keeps talking about the X's and O's and all that stuff, and that's not his thing. That's what Darren Rizzi is for as the new assistant head coach, I think. But what Campbell is trying to do, at least in my perspective, is he's breathing life back into these players because these players look dead up until then. Now they look. Now they seem to be back in the game. Well, just indicative of the coaching staff, really, and just how – I mean, we knew a change needed to be made. Oh, welcome back, Keith. We've talked – yeah, uh, thanks for holding down the fort while I was gone. I apologize. Um, my wife's here. Decided. Say. I was going to say there was a, a number to call, but now that you're back, you can you, you got that covered too. Yeah, if you guys want do want to call in, it's three four seven three two six nine four six. And we actually have our first guest, and it's uh, it's someone who is a, is no stranger to the show. It's Dolphin fan for life. <laughs> uh, what was going on? Uh, nothing much. Um, well, first off, I wanted to give a couple of tidbits. I was looking up uh, Anna Rumo's Wikipedia while share. Uh, I was on hold. Um, basically, you know, I'm well. First off, head coach for Miami Dolphins, Philbin was never an X and O's kind of guy either, but he was just drab and kind of bleary, kind of like monotone, you know, um, but I think Bill Lazor is going to get a lot more freedom. I think Anna Rumo is going to get a lot more freedom, and he was actually a defense, Anna Rumo was actually a defensive coordinator. Uh, I believe he was a secondary coach at Stanford. That's how him and Philbin met, but um one of the things is, is he's going to be able to pay attention to detail, and the reason I say this. Wait, 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 um, wait, wait. Anna Rumo as a Stanford defensive coordinator? I didn't hear that. The last I heard was I the last time he was in his backs. Coach. Ah, okay, okay, okay. He was a defensive backs coach at um, at Stanford and, no, Harvard. My bad, Harvard. Um, at Harvard, he was the assistant head coach and defensive backs coach, not not Stanford. My bad. Okay, a little, only uh, a little bit of a difference, but continue. But uh, so 
that being said, you know, he just, he has the history and he has like, kind of like, you know, he did, I think, defensive backs coach at Purdue as well. But um, basically the thing that intrigues me most is what he got his degree in special education. And the reason why I say that is because in special education, you have to do a lot of one-on-one, a lot of, you know, just more personal. A lot of interaction. Yeah, so I think that's going to help him a lot. Not saying that our guys are stupid or anything, just saying he knows how to deal with all the personalities in the room, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, uh, it's it's just been such a mess when you, when you look at this entire thing. Philbin always felt like a, a square peg in a round hole. He was awkward. Uh, I'm still convinced he got the he got the Dolphins job because he stood he managed to stand near Aaron Rodgers for a time because when everyone brought him in, it's like this, this excellent quarterback developer and this X's and O's guy, and it's like he didn't. And then people are like, wait, he didn't call the plays in Green Bay. No, he didn't. And I always make this joke, but it's like the office space thing. You know, wh- what exactly did you do in Green Bay if you're the offensive coordinator and you're not calling plays? Oh, he prepared the offense for everyone. Prepared what? Prepared them breakfast? Did their laundry? I don't. I don't. What are you? What are you preparing? What are you installing? What part of the offense did you oversee there? So that was always my issue with him, especially when you had a proven guy with Mike McCoy, who in in Denver managed to go ahead and deconstruct an offense and rebuild it for Tim Tebow. And he actually kind of thrived in it for a few games. I mean, everything's relative. But, I mean, he won a playoff game against Pittsburgh. I mean, not too shabby. So that, in my mind, is somebody – he was the better hire. James, I remember the night that Philbin was hired. I think it was like a Friday afternoon that it came through. And – and I was talking to James, and James was at some restaurant. He said he just wanted to throw one of the ketchup bottles across the room. He was so upset. Because he, he wanted Mike McCoy, and I did too. And, I mean, the reason for that is you have one guy who stood around a quarterback who I, I whom am convinced at this point could succeed in spite of anyone coaching him. Or you have a guy who is able to play to his quarterback's strength and and tailor an offense around it, which is something a lot of people aren't able to do. There's this word that we've always used with the Philbin regime, or and it's a lack thereof, but it's flexibility, adaptability, an ability to know your personnel, scheme around them. Instead, you bring Indomitian Sue in, and you think, you know what? Let's two-gap this guy all the time. I understand that and Dominic Sue's capable of doing that. He played in the three four at Nebraska and he did quite well in it. But I oftentimes when I so think Keith, about Keith, guys hang on a sec, man. Keith. Oh, so are you oh, not sure. buying uh, are, are you not buying no. the coaching staff saying that they don't do two gap ever? Absolutely I don't buy that. You've watched okay. the games, haven't you? Uh yeah, but I'm too busy live tweeting to actually get the intricacies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. But what I um, actually that's a an incredible indictment of uh, of every. And I'm never going to take anything you say as serious ever again. 
Uh, hey, I got to do my thing, do. man. Sure, you've got you've got people you need to uh, satiate. But anyway, my point is is um, you got to be able to tailor uh, your scheme to your personal strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> and it just seems like these guys always have it. Like they're the smartest men in the room. And I can't stand those guys in any sport. I cannot stand the smart the guys who act like they're the smartest men in the room. And Philbin just has always exuded it. And he hires people who exude it. And that drives me nuts. Kevin Coyle's back there. Oh, we're going to get this. I, you know, Maybe I'll go ahead and, and simplify this defense a little bit. Yeah, you do what you have to do because you're not fooling anyone. People are uh, opposing offenses are pretty much laughing at this guy. And the, um, the scheme he's putting out there, saying, like, mm, okay, this defense should be incredible and it's not scaring anyone right now. And that is just a, an extension, in my opinion, of uh, it's a top-down thing. I don't have a problem with Tannenbaum right now, but I really do have a problem with the, the guys who just went out the door. I saw some report earlier this week. I don't want to take too much time on this. And I, I mean, this really could just be conversational fodder for all I know, uh, that uh, Tannenbaum wanted Philbin gone immediately, which doesn't surprise me. Tannenbaum seems like a fairly direct guy, and he wants his people in there. So I can't imagine him stepping into the Miami situation thinking, hmm, we got a, a guy who's really on the verge of becoming a lame duck head coach, but let's make it work with this dude. Let's see what we can do. I don't see that. So really you're, you're talking about a, a season plus ruined because Steven Rothman pulled the trigger on this guy. And I don't mean to advocate for people losing their jobs. I understand that there's a human element here that we have to be mindful of. And I, I'm trying to mind that. But at the same time, I want to note that, I mean, that's just, I mean, season's lost. People acted like when Sherman got the boot last winter, you know, or January uh, 2014, that, I mean, everything was going to be better, that it was going to be fixed. But we all knew at the time that Coyle sucked. And, I, I mean, I, he did. I mean, let's just go out there. Let's put it out there right now. He sucked. And people were like, well, wait a minute. What's this half-measure stuff? Why are we replacing one side when both sides are are worthy of uh, a really good spring cleaning, if you will? So, I don't know. That's the frustrating part for me. Because this franchise uh, repeatedly, time and time again, always goes for the half measure. Let's just fix part of it. And I understand that there's a really popular thing out there where people just want to go ahead and just reboot everything, just hit the reset button like it's an old NES. I don't like what's going on here. Let's hit the reset button. I'm not suggesting that. But if ever there was a situation that was worthy of it, it was this one. And yet we let it hang around, and now we have this. And I really hope Dan Campbell does do well because I love the personnel that's in place, and frankly, this team is underachieving like crazy right now. There's just no drive coming from these guys. Lewis pointed it out when they were in England. I mean, it, the apathy was palpable. These guys just look like they didn't want to be there, and that's sad. This should be a, a playoff football team, and instead they're they're out there getting punked. So, yeah, a, a change needed to come, and, I mean, it did. Uh for this season, probably too little, too late. I don't know. It would be great if these guys came out just guns blazing and just really put, just play to the to the level we know they can. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. You know, I think the biggest mistake. 
I think the well, biggest I, mistake I was letting. I think the biggest mistake was letting Casey Rogers go to the Jets first and yeah, foremost. I think you know right now they have like I think the second or third ranked defense, and that guy's doing his thing there. And all it would have took for us to keep him was give. Mr. Two Gap, the boot, and yeah, you know, Mr. Give no him, two Gap, Two Gap. Yeah, give him the boot and give the job to Casey teams. Rogers. You know, I mean, I advocated in that head coach post, just offering the head coaching job to Casey Rogers, because I mean, everything that he's tried to accomplish, he's accomplished. He Look at what he did with our defensive line. I mean, he turned Vernon into a player. He turned, you know, he got a lot out of Audric when solely I was here. You know, which, I mean, I'm not too upset about losing solely I, but I think our line could be better. I think maybe, just maybe, we have too much strength on one side of the defense. I mean, we got Brent Grimes as our starting cornerback, and then right next to him, you know, we have Cameron Wake, and then we have Sue right next to Cameron Wake, and then we have, you know, Rashad Jones right there in the back, and everything is just our our talent level is just associated with one side, you know, and I think that really shouldn't have happened anyways, you know. Well, one thing that you, you kind of hit on there that I like to bring up is that if you look at the if you look at Dan Campbell and look at his position that he's coached, I mean Charles Clay. Uh, I mean I, I remember in 2013 when uh, Dustin Keller got hurt, and the next game Charles Clay had like one catch for five yards. He dropped the pass. Everybody's like we're going to be trading for some tight end and all this stuff. And then Clay goes out and has a monster season. Deion Sims has developed nicely. Jake Stoneburner's playing decent. He's got more touchdowns than Mike Wallace uh, and Brian Hartline and Brandon Gibson. So, um, you know, you look at a guy, you talk about Casey Arch, he, he develops that defensive line. Guys got better under his tutelage. Look at what Dan Campbell's done, too. The people he's coach have improved to a point that you don't consider them liabilities, you know. So I think that's a good point there that the guy we do have now has proven players and got the most out of them. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean it's just it's I'm so disappointing that we're in we're in a flux at this point in the season. If you told me that prior to this season that we'd be sitting here at this point in um, the middle of October, talking about, like, where did it all go wrong? What are we doing? How can we get on, on track? I wouldn't have believed you. So, I mean, that part of it is just mind-boggling. And now you just wonder how much of it can be salvaged. And I agree with everything you guys are saying, actually, about about the personnel going forward. Casey Rogers was a huge loss. I fear that Vernon may follow him to New York. That would hurt. Uh, especially because you think about what that defense can do with one more pass rusher in it. I don't know. But uh, yeah. one thing – go ahead. 
one thing I wanted to mention was that on this podcast, around the site, around Dolphins Twitter, everywhere else, there's been a lot of talk over the past few seasons of leadership. We needed players that could be leaders in the locker room. <clears throat> and looking back at it now, I believe that the reason that the Dolphins appeared to not have much leadership is because it came from the top. Uh, I'm a big fan of the movie uh, Master and Commander Far Side of the World. Um, I've seen that movie dozens of times. And there's a character in the movie, uh, Mr. Hollum, he is an officer, that none of the none of the people respect. None of the other uh, uh, sailors really respect him. There are other officers who are young young children that they respect over that guy. And it's just because he lacks that ability to lead them for whatever reason. And when I, I watched that movie probably sometime last season, and it just kind of hit me. I was like, that's Joe Philbin. That is Joe Philbin right there. That is that is what he is. And I, I, I don't want to pick on the guy, but the thing that, you know, I was kind of, I was getting kind of excited, you know, the excitement for the season was building. I went to that Carolina game. I came home. I, I watched the replay mostly to see if I could catch myself on TV. And um, they, the Carolina broadcast showed in between, right after a commercial break, they had a pre-game meeting with with Philbin and Ron Rivera. And Ron Rivera was like, "Hey, coach, how you doing?" Blah blah blah. It was talking to him, shaking his hand, and he's like, "Man, we had a good good practice all day." And Philbin's like, "Oh yeah, 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 yeah." Just looking around, kind of looking down, just kind of gazing around. He's uh, "Yeah, we got a lot of good stuff on film." Blah blah. And uh, I mean, Rivera was just outgoing, talking to him, just real real personable, and Philbin looked like he would rather, you know, be sitting in a poor potty somewhere. I mean, he just did not look like he wanted to be there talking to Ron Rivera at that moment. Ron was like, all right, well, have a uh, you know, good game, coach. Hope no injuries. And so was like, yeah, yeah, and just trotted it off. And at that moment, I was kind of like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't feel good about this. Because, I mean, imagine, just imagine, you know, where I work, uh, you know, some of you where you work, if, if you went into a meeting or talked to someone in public, with that kind of regard, you need to be considered rude or entirely unprofessional. I mean, I can't, when I have somebody come in my office to talk to me about stuff, I can't just look around at the floor or fiddle with my watch or look at pictures on the wall and not pay attention to, oh, yeah, 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 and kind of the way that was. And I, I, just, I lost some faith right there. And, and it's all culminated now. And the reason I have hope for Dan Campbell is not necessarily X's and O's. I mean, I believe this team's got enough talent to win games. It's that Philbinus wasn't that leader. They didn't want to follow him. And Campbell's a guy they will follow. Now, he's going to make plenty of mistakes, but he's a guy they're going to follow. And he's going to acknowledge when he makes mistakes, and they're going to understand that. But they're going to follow what he says, and they're going to play 100% for him. And I don't believe they were for Philbin. I believe they... They saw that kind of interaction on a daily basis, and they just like this isn't this, this, guy, this isn't meant. Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I thought you were finished. Uh, I'm not meaning to say this to discredit you or anything, Duke, but what you're describing pretty much sounds like Tony Sperano. Hey, I mean, how did you see it? I mean, at, at this point, at, at least, at least Sperano. I mean, granted, we can make fun of him forever for the 
fist pumping field goals and everything, but at least that guy acted like he had a pull on the sideline. I mean, everything everything Duke just said, I'm right in line with. And Joe Philbin just yeah, always seemed like an, unlike, un, an unlikely guy to be there. I remember when they hired him, he just seemed like, yeah, cool. This is awesome. I understand the the situation that was around him at the time he was, uh, they hired him, and I realized that that was an incredibly tragic, sad time. So I don't want to touch upon that because I can't imagine what that's like. But at some point, with your head coach, you spend multiple seasons with this guy, you have to demand accountability. And you can just go right down the line of times where there should have been accountability in place, and he either skirted it or just kind of gave a half-assed, like, yeah, it's probably my fault. Yeah, okay. Doesn't it, I, it never really seemed like he, he even cared for the most part. Like, they could have just booted him, and it wouldn't have been a big deal. And I had to laugh because when Mike McCarthy came out, he, he said he was disappointed by our decision to let go of Joe Philbin. Like, disappointed is probably a good way to put it, but I don't think we're disappointed to see him go. We're disappointed in what he was able to bring to this team. So now he can go back to cooking eggs for the, the Packers or whatever it is he does, prepare their offense while, while uh, Tom Cummins calls the play, yeah, I mean, plays now. When I, when I look at it, when I look at it, I picture the, the scene from Hard Knocks where he gets up in front of the crowd and uh, what's his name, Samuda comes in with that, you know, the haircut. And he just kind of, they're all laughing, and Philbin just kind of looks up there and just kind of shakes his head. And I just imagine just just from his press conferences, that interaction that I saw, I mean, these are huge, large individuals, grown men, millions and millions of dollars, but they want to be led. They're, they're used to being led by someone. They need to have someone that they can believe in that they will follow, even if he's wrong, you know, they always use that term, run run through a wall for somebody. Well, you don't want to ever run through a wall. But the point is, you're you're willing to do something that would be painful and destructive to yourself, completely something useless just for this guy because you believe in him that much. And I, just, I, I don't ever get – I don't think Philbin ever had that. I can't imagine he sits in a big meeting room at the beginning of training camp this year in front of that, that group of 90 players – and, and he can get up there and start talking about stuff. And a guy like Indominus Sue or Cameron Wake or, you know, whoever just sitting there listening to him, like, man, I, I cannot wait to get out there and hit somebody because of this guy. I can't. I yeah, and you know that. what? Uh, honestly, with this entire situation, I mean, it worked out in a lot of ways exactly how we expected, which is too bad. But I mean, he just... I mean, I'm not saying he had to be Mr. Congeniality for you to come out with this larger-than-life uh, persona, but I just never really felt like he got it. And let's not overlook the fact that if we're if we're just calling it down the middle, he was terrible with in-game decisions. How many instances can you come up with where he botched a timeout, blew something late, uh, completely just lost control of of a sure win? It happened frequently. And if guys like Belichick and, I mean, even, like you know, uh, John Harbaugh get credit when things go come through for them, for their teams, well, the head coach has got to be accountable for that too. And I really thought his in-game management, especially late in games, the fourth quarter of last season was such a nightmare. 
The one against Green Bay was terrible. Detroit might have been worse. I don't know. They were both bad. And both games we should have won. So it's not like we there was some sort of hard luck thing going on here, and he had some really... I never liked his in-game management. I really never thought, like, he had or he demonstrated sound control of everything that was going on on the field for the Miami Dolphins, and that's that. And, I mean, now we're going to get Dan Campbell. One thing I I want to move on to, we only have 10 minutes left because, like I said, this is a shorter show tonight. Um, We're going to have Dan Campbell. Let's assume that the team plays hard, Wins a couple of games. I, I don't know. Finishes. What do you right now? Just put out a number. What what record do you think these guys finish with at the end of the season? Just it doesn't matter. Just yell it out. Six and ten. Okay. Anyone else? Uh, I'm gonna say seven and nine. Hmm. Optimist. So how about you, Duke? I'm gonna say eight, I'm gonna say eight and eight. They've been eight and eight for two years, so <laughs> until they change, yeah, might as well just might as differently. <laughs> just make it the trifecta. Okay, so six and ten, seven and nine, eight and eight, somewhere in that in that region. Okay, so finish out of the playoffs, obviously, and then some. What do you do at the end of the season? What coach? First of all, what kind of style are you looking to bring in with your head coach? And is there a particular name you already have an eye on? Because I've seen some, I've seen the usual mentions on Twitter. I've seen so much Gruden already, which just drives me nuts. I feel like people don't get it. What's the joke that John Gruden never met a franchise quarterback he didn't like as long as the guy wasn't on his roster? So I see the Gruden already. I saw a bunch of Bill Cowher, which I swear is, is almost, like some sort of fetal position move for Dolphins fans when they, they're they just in complete denial over what's going on. They think, well, we'll go get Bill Cowher. He's not enjoying himself with that cushy CBS gig. It's no big deal. Is there not anyone out there? That... Oh, what was that? I was going to say, not to mention, he's been sucked into the magical QB world already. He, he keeps talking like that's all that matters. So is he just going to suddenly show up and get rid of everything he's talked about for the last 10, however many years he's been out of the league? With, that's I'm sure if he was actually coaching, he would change. But For, for a guy who, who really hung a lot of his career on, on dudes like Neil O'Donnell, Bobby Brewster, Cordell Stewart, Tommy Maddox was in there. I'm amused by the fact that he goes with the Manchester QB world. Then again, you know, he was winning Super Bowls with, uh, or a Super Bowl with Big Ben. So, yeah. Um, is there anyone a, out there? Any, I think a any, name, any rash- I think so, a name that a lot of people are, are bringing up is Hugh Jackson from the Bengals. Um, he's a popular one. Seems to be a fairly creative offensive mind. Uh, He's a guy that's he he has been a head coach before, albeit for the Raiders. Um, I think he's a guy that they would look at because he he is you know does have some star power because he hasn't been a head coach before. He's a name people would recognize at least in football. Um, uh, I mean, I I can see that. Uh, some other guys. I mean, the big name of course is Sean Payton. I don't know if that would work out, but the. Um, a couple of guys like Adam Gase, uh, I think he's he would be a a 
potential candidate because, I mean, you look at kind of what's going on with Baltimore with Mark Trestman and just how bad they're playing and how well the, the Bears offense appears to be coming around um, under Adam Gase. So, I mean, the, you know, I think that would be positive in his favor. I don't know if they have any really defensive candidates out there, the defensive guys that I know of that they, they would go for. I mean, Miami's had several offensive head coaches for for a while, so um, I don't know. I can't think of any two, defensive I'll, guys out there across the top of my head. Two names out yeah, there is Casey Rogers and James Franklin out of Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, James one. Franklin played for Vanderbilt, I mean, coached for Vanderbilt, and now he's at Penn State. Penn State's only lost one game this season. Vanderbilt took three consecutive bowl games. So he's one guy I'd keep an eye on. And then Casey Rogers, of course, he's defensive coordinator, but he has a relationship with several of the players on the team already. And, I mean, they can't deny him an opportunity for a promotion and a head coaching job is just right up the valley of the promotion. You know who I like? I want to throw another name out there real quick that I've, I've heard, but uh, I'll wait I'll wait till Keith says his first. Well, I was just going to say uh, one guy I've always liked is his coaching style, and I thought it was funny you were mentioning all these offensive names because, yeah, that seems to be the, the market is almost saturated with these guys who are offensive head coaches right now. Uh, Vic Fangio in Chicago is one guy I really like, and I understand he's trying to build something with John Fox and uh, and Adam Gase, and he's got a young 3-4 scheme. Well, I mean, they claim it's a hybrid, but, I mean, it's the, the bare bits of it are built on a 3-4 premise. Uh, the thought of Ndamukong Sue playing in Vic Fangio's defense is really enough to cause heart palpitations, in my opinion. I love the thought of that. He does well with attacking outside linebackers. We're fortunate to have Vernon here, which, I mean, I don't think will happen, but who knows. But I do, I do want a defensive head coach. I mean, like if it's Sean Payton, I'm certainly not going to say no to that. I think that would be insane, considering what the amount of success that guy's had in New Orleans. Um, but And I like Hugh Jackson, too. I would have been cool with Jim Schwartz. I know that they offered Jim Schwartz a defensive coordinator position, and, I mean, of course he turned it down, especially considering the current state of this team where it's not guaranteed that you're going to bring a new scheme in there or you're going to bring a new regime in there likely at the end of the season. And, then, I mean, he's gone, so what was the point for doing, you know, what, 11 weeks of work? So um, I would say no to I mean, I like Jim Schwartz. You would say you would say no to Sean Payton. Are you are you worried that he's going to steal from our Vicodin counter, or what is what are you worried about? The thing about it is that okay, first of all, Sean Payton is going to want full control. He wants everything. He wants power over his coaching staff. He wants power over the player personnel. He wants to be able to buy the groceries and use them at the same time. He his his ability as a talent evaluator is in question to say the least. And the success that you brought up, I'm not denying that he's been successful in New Orleans. However, it was riding on the arm of the elite Drew Brees, who now is no longer elite, and now the Saints are a mess. Nor was he elite when he got to New Orleans, though. That guy, really, for the most part, in San Diego, I would not characterize his time with the Chargers as 
overly successful. And no, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't either, even, but... You, I wouldn't come close to using the E-word. I'm not denying Drew Brees' greatness, and I believe that a lot of Drew Brees' ability as a quarterback uh, have reflected uh, well on Sean Payton in his career. But I think that... I think Sean Payton had a little bit to do with, I mean, really unleashing Drew Brees as well. And then you look at Ryan Tannehill and think, well, can he unleash Ryan Tannehill? I'm not saying that Ryan Tannehill has to play the Drew Brees level, but can he get him to fully realize his talent, his ability, especially from the neck up, which is where Sean Payton really excels? I'm not pro Sean Payton. I mean, like, I can... Right now, I can take or leave it. I mean, it, I wouldn't have a problem with it, and you, I feel like his presence could almost set us set us up for disappointment. We have, we've got 90 seconds left. I keep losing track of the fact that we're short on time, and I got to get running here. Uh, any uh, quick kiss, last thoughts you guys want to put out there before we call it a night? I apologize for the quick show. And well, one coach I was going to mention was uh, Urban Meyer. I heard that name mentioned once. Um, He's not I leaving. I, I don't think so, but. Uh, with my final thought is, there's been at least at least two or three times since the last podcast that I've sat down and thought, I was like, Dolphin fan for life is actually older than me. Yeah. <laughs> elder, elder statesman. All I'll say is this to end the show is that if the Dolphin, if we're going to see what's going to happen. We'll see what exactly what Dan Campbell's crazy antics are going to do. We'll see if for sure if they're fake or if they're actually going to do something. If he breathes life into this team, then it's a whole new ball game. I agree. I totally agree. Uh, anything else, Dolphin fan? You want to throw something out there? You got about thirty-five seconds. I mean, add a few words, everybody. So, um, all right, we're going to go ahead and call it tonight. Thank you for uh, tuning in. I apologize for the 45-minute show. Usually we do about 90, twice that. So uh, for my good friend, uh, good friend, Duke and Lewis, and our uh, frequent contributor, Dolphin Fans for Life, uh, good night, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Good night. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out. Support for Pivot comes from Polestar. At Polestar, every inch of every vehicle they design is thoughtfully made. They're made to transform auto performance, accelerating from zero to 60 in less than 4.2 seconds with fully electric all-wheel drive. They're made to elevate the driving experience with LED headlights and a panoramic glass roof. And they're made to uphold a greater responsibility to the planet using sustainable materials and energy-saving systems. The result is a car that combines the best of today with the technology of tomorrow. Pure performance, pure design, Polestar. Design yours and book a test drive today at polestar.com.